Matthew chapter 9 in the Word of God, Matthew chapter 9. The video that you saw was my recent trip in December. I take trips, I go for about two and a half weeks, and I go there and I blitz the country city to city or, or village and, and, and after village and so forth and work and partner with the national pastors. I do not start churches. They already have churches. They already have buildings. They already have pastors. And so I go there and I, and I partner with them and I'm trying to help them. And I want you to see Matthew chapter 9, please, in the word of God. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 Matthew 9 and verse 36, and I'm going to explain tonight as I preach to you from the Word of God, I want to share with you my, my approach, my calling. God is giving me a very unique calling. This may not be the pattern for other missionaries, but God has given me a very unique vision, very unique calling I have learned through the years. We don't pick our, our mission fields. We don't pick our calling. We don't pick our job. This is God's calling. This is God's will. This is God's plan. I want you to notice, please. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into his harvest. I want to preach tonight on the subject, reaping the harvest, reaping the harvest. Let's bow our heads for prayer for a moment with heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness and your blessings. Thank you for the word of God and thank you for this church tonight that we can come and meet and, and talk about missions and the Great Commission. Bless tonight. Help us to grow in grace and grow in faith and, and help us to do more for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Reaping the harvest. Jesus is moved with compassion to see the multitude scattered abroad like sheep having no shepherd. And he says, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into his harvest. I want to bring to your attention as we speak about, about reaping the harvest, different seasons There's, and different functions in agriculture. There is sowing. There is planting, there is watering, and there is reaping. So there are labors. We need labors to go to the harvest. But there are these different seasons and different types of labors. I want you to see, please, in the Word of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Notice the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want you to notice a verse as I begin to explain and just talk about what God has called us to do and how, how your church can, can partner with us and pray for us and and enter into the vision of what God uh, uh, would have us to do. Notice, please, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. The Bible says, Paul the apostle said, I have planted. He's referring to his planting churches. And that's what most traditional missionaries and, and, and uh, missionaries do. They're church planters. Paul said, I have planted. This is a pattern of missions, what missionaries should do. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Apollos is somebody who was also a, a preacher. In fact, the Bible says he was mighty in the scriptures. He was fervent in spirit, but his function was to, was to water the plant. It was to encourage the church by the water of the word. Do you see that? But the Bible says in the end that God gave an increase to all of this. So everybody does their part. Some plant and some water. I want you to notice verse 7. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. That's a very interesting statement. 
those who start churches and those who help churches, they are one. They are one in spirit. They are one in mind. They are, they are one in, in, in the same mind. They are one in, in, in heart, having the same heart. And so the Bible says these are one. The Word of God says, And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. You're God's husband's husbandry. You're God's building. So this is, this is God's work. God, God is saying, you know, Paul, he's somebody who started churches. He's a planter. And Apollo somebody who, who, who watered. You know, if we look at history, and I'm referring to like American revivalism and early, early America, colonial times, and even, you know, revivals in the United States. Have we not had in our, in our history and in history books and, and just seeing about about revivals and, and just seeing hundreds of people and even thousands of people listening to the gospel and getting saved. Is it not part of American history to see cities shaken with the power of the gospel because, they, because people prayed for revival, because people uh, 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 were saying, oh God, do something in, in our city. Oh God, pour out the power of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and maybe a preacher would come and they would have a series of meetings and they would have revivals and have multitudes of people saved. Is that not a part of our heritage and our culture and our independent Baptist identity? It certainly is. You see, it goes beyond. Uh, it goes beyond. We need to see God move and do something phenomenal, something great, something that is powerful, something like the Bible says that that the, those who the ears of whom shall hear it shall tingle. The Word of God tells us that we need to pray for revival. You know, one of my I got saved when I was 15 years old. Now, and I'm a bus kid. I, I, I was a teen bus kid, so I came on the bus route. I came to to, to my church. In Elgin, Illinois, which is Northwest Bible Baptist Church with Pastor Keith Gomez, who was my pastor. And I came as a, as a teen bus kid, and I felt the call of God. I told my pastor, and he said, you need to prepare. He said, I want to invest in you. I want to help train you. I want to help develop you because we need Spanish preachers and Spanish-speaking preachers. And, and he said, I want to help de develop you and train you. And the Lord was leading this, this calling of evangelism and, and preaching leading me into this type of ministry. And he said, I'm going to send you to work with an, with an evangelist. And that evangelist happened to be Dr. Joe Boyd, evangelist Joe Boyd. And my pastor sent me to travel with him when I was 17 years old, 18 years old, 19 years old, three years working with this evangelist who, who happened to be a tent evangelist. We were in Salt Lake City, Utah, 1995, big tent crusade, six-week meeting, six-week-long evangelistic meeting in Mormon country of Salt Lake City, Utah. Dr. Joe Boyd said, I'm not here to fight the Mormons. I'm just here to preach the gospel. I'm on my way to heaven to see. Uh, I stopped here to see if anybody wants to come with me. And so he just was preaching the gospel in a big tent. When I was in that tent, God gave me a vision. God gave me a unique burden. God gave me a unique calling and a vision. And God said, you need to preach the word of God in the Spanish countries. You need to preach in Mexico. You need to pray for revivals. You need to preach the gospel to multitudes. You need to partner and help the churches. And I was a team bus kid, you know, new in the church and just growing and developing in my discipleship and my calling. And 
And I said, Lord, I don't have anything. I don't have much. I'm a, 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 I'm a, a bus kid, and I'm, I'm, I'm surrendered to your will, surrendered to your call. But it is the Lord. It's the Lord's calling. It's the Lord's plan. I want you to see, please, in the scriptures we read in Corinthians, I want you to look at another verse. Jesus said something very similar. John chapter 4. John chapter 4, I want you to notice. In John chapter 4, I want you to see. And by the way, in that Mormon tent revival that, that we were in, we saw hundreds of people saved. I saw Mormons come. I saw Mormons missionaries come and, and under conviction. I saw, I saw uh, Mormon people come and, and, and come to the altar and, and, and get saved and, and receive Christ. Revival broke out. We were for one week and then two weeks and three weeks and just people started coming from everywhere. The news media came and put it on, on the news and all this. Four weeks and five weeks and just churches coming from everywhere just to see the meeting. This, this tent was packed out. A thousand seat tent. Standing room only. And God brought a revival. I want you to notice John chapter 4. Verse 35, Jesus said something here. He says, Say not ye there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Do you see that? That sounds very similar when Paul said, you know, he said, he that planteth, he that watereth are one. Now he's saying, the Lord Jesus is saying, both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Why are they going to rejoice together? Because they are one. They're one in spirit. You see, some people have a unique ministry of sowing the word of God. Some missionaries, they're, they're going to go to a place maybe that doesn't have a church. Some missionaries are going to go to a place maybe that doesn't even have a Bible. And their job is going to be to translate the Bible. And even go for a long time without seeing converts or seeing any fruits because they are sowing. They are sowers. It's a sowing ministry. And of course God will bless them because of the faithfulness and their labor. But Jesus said, some sow. But he says, another reaps. Another reapeth. You know what happened here, if we continue to read in verse 37. And herein is that saying true. One soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that wherein you bestowed no labor. Other men labored and you are entered into their labors. I want to tell you first the context of this scripture. Jesus is saying to the disciples, listen, the people of Samaria in this chapter, they responded and they came and they believed on Christ. Because it started with the woman at the well, and then they, they came and heard the Lord, and they, they came, and they, the Lord stayed two days there, and they were saved, and, and a big revival happened. But the Lord is telling the disciples, listen, somebody already came and sowed. You, you just entered into their labors. You're just, this is the reaping ministry, if you will. Now, I think in context, I think it's referring to John the Baptist. The Bible says John the Baptist was preaching. It tells us where. It tells us a location very close to Samaria, which happened to be only four miles away. So undoubtedly, somehow, either those people came or John the Baptist preached near there where he did the sowing of the Word of God. He prepared the way. And now there's a big harvest of souls. And the Lord is teaching. He's saying, listen, sometimes some do the sowing, but then somebody else comes later on. It could even be perhaps... In, a, in, in the next generation, 
It could be in another time frame, in another generation. Another man reapeth. And he says, then when this happens, we got to rejoice together. So Venezuela is a country where American missionaries have sown the word of God. They have started churches. They've bought the properties. They've built the buildings. They have trained the pastors. Venezuela is a country. They've done the sowing, the watering, the planting. And God is giving me a ministry to reap the harvest. And that is my calling. That is my job. That is my vision. That is my ministry where I go and say to the national pastors in Venezuela and say, listen, with this economic collapse and this uh, situation, nobody's working jobs. A lot of people are, are doing things at home. They're staying at home. Everybody's home. In their front porch at home, there's either sending them money or just, you know, there's no jobs or just people are just surviving. They got this little bag. It's a It's a bag of like flour, like, like to make dough, like a flour dough uh, to make little breads and stuff. So this bag cost a dollar to buy that. By the way, because of their cash system collapse, they use the American dollar. And that is the black market system. And so it's hard to get cash or anything. What they do is they have a digital system through their banking system. And they, they text each other money. They buy things by texting each other stuff. Or, you know, money, currency by digital means. And uh, they, they, of course, could use cash if somebody has cash, but they never have cash. And, and so they're under-resourced, they're under-supported. I come to the pastors and say, Pastor, when was the last time you had an evangelistic outreach? And why don't you gather the pastors and, and look at all these people at home? Why don't we have an evangelistic meeting? You know what I do? I, I go to a little sports stadium and I... I tell the churches and I, I put on a little soccer game, a little, a little sports event. I put on a little program, something similar to like a vacation Bible school. Let's just get us a, a, a sports team. You know, let's get something. Let's, let's, let's play soccer. Let's do something. Make it like an attraction. And let's announce this. And it takes in a matter of moments, hundreds of people start coming because the kids want to play soccer. Because we tell them, you know, maybe we're going to give away a soccer ball or something. Or we're going to at least have drinks of water for everybody or something. Sometimes we'll give them a snack. We'll try to feed them something. Hundreds of people and even 1,000 and 1,500 and 2,000 people will gather in a, in a moment's notice. And that's a time for us to preach the gospel. See, our job is to preach the gospel to as many people as we can. That's the Great Commission. That's what soul winning is, preaching the gospel to the multitudes. And here, the, here is these people that are like sitting ducks at home and in their neighborhoods doing nothing who will gladly come to our events that are simple and, and, and you know, just come to a park or something or a little, little sports stadium, and pretty soon it will get packed out. And we turn it into an all-day gospel crusade, into an all-day gospel rally. I'm not talking about just preaching one time and send everybody home. They will hear the plan of salvation three and four times. I preach. The pastors preach. The people are soul winning. The people are witnessing to the people all day long. They are overwhelmed. These churches are not big churches. They might have 100 people, 150 people, but the crowds are in the thousands. They're in the thousands. They're overwhelmed. They, some people have never witnessed to that many people, never seen that many people in an evangelistic meeting. So I'm telling the pastors, Pastor, listen, I'm here to help you. I'm here to partner with you. I'll finance what you're doing. What do you need? You just 
sometimes they just need a few hundred bucks. Sometimes not a whole lot. What do you need? Let's get it together. Let's put this together. Sometimes they need to rent chairs. Sometimes they need a PA system. Sometimes they need a little, a little food to feed the people. Just a couple hundred bucks. And I say, listen, I'll, I'll provide this money. I'll raise this money and I'll come to you and, I'll, and we'll, we'll partner up and we'll team up. And that's what we are doing. I went in August to Venezuela for two and a half weeks and we had our first meeting. We had 1,600 people in a stadium meeting and we preached the gospel and had an all-day rally like this. We, we had other, every day we had other spontaneous meetings where we'll, we'll have three or 400 people in a spontaneous manner, unplanned, unorganized, just go out there with a loudspeaker, just go out there with the church and the soul winners and start preaching the gospel. I take tracts, thousands of tracts. I, I have them printed in the United States. I like to put the church address and the, and the pastor's name and everything and, and Venezuela-themed tracts, thousands of tracts, and I take them in my luggage. I pay more for my luggage than my own plane ticket because I'm taking thousands of gospel tracts and John and Romans and literature materials and Bibles and things. And so my job is to partner with those churches. So you see, these churches are vulnerable. They're under-resourced. They're under-supported. And they're just by themselves. There's no American influence right now. There's not much missionaries there right now. So they're by themselves. We need to come to help them. We need to come. And I, I'm somebody who partners with them and say, churches, stay on the front lines. Hold the line. Keep preaching. Keep soul winning. Stay faithful to the sound doctrine. And, and, and do what your, your missionaries taught you to do. Keep winning souls. This is the time. This is the season of harvest. And the Bible says that we can rejoice together. You see, so now we're seeing big crowds. We're seeing thousands of people. And I'm just saying because that's the, that's the season they're in. And that's the field that, that, that we're looking at. It's a time where the people, it, it creates a situation, you know, a lot of starvation and hunger. It makes people's hearts tender, especially when you do something for them, something physical and material, such as provide a little meal, provide a snack, provide a bottle of water. Sometimes I'll say, Pastor, what do you need? We need to... We're going to give people a drink of water or something, a clean bottle drink of water. The people are very grateful for that. They're very thankful. And what that does is cause a tender heart. And that's where the, the seed of the gospel, where we, can, where we can preach the gospel, and it falls on good ground. And it brings a response. The response is to receive Christ. And hundreds of, and of people are getting saved and receiving the Lord. So it's, a, it's an opportunity, it's a season of harvest. In August, I was there, and not only is it outreach, but I like to close out with a pastor's conference and tell the pastors, bring all the pastors in the area. Now, you've been with me for two weeks, you've seen how we do it, you've seen how we go and preach, you've seen how this is aggressive, this is every day, this is hard work, well, this is getting tracks out, so now I'm going to leave and go, and I'll be back. But in the meantime, you have to continue this. See, I train them and I teach them and train them to reach their own. It's called training the nationals, partnering with the nationals. And I, and I preach to them and I give them the vision. You know, in Mexico, I, got, I have to tell you, Mexico has had the gospel over 160 years. From American missionaries, they've had the gospel. But only in recent years, now Mexico is now a missionary sending country. Mexico has missionaries all over the world now. Even in Europe and Asia and Africa and the Spanish world, Mexico has missionaries all over the world now. Well, how did that happen? It happened only in the last 30 years. As of 30 years, 
ago, until today, the Mexicans are sending missionaries. They're, a, they're not a mission field. They are, a, they are a, a missionary sending country. How did they become like that? And why is it only in the last 30 years if they've had the gospel 160 years? Well, I'll tell you why. Because in the last 30 years, they were motivated, they were encouraged, they were exhorted, and the message caught on. It caught. It caught on. Some things are, are better caught than taught. It sunk in where they said, wait a minute. We have the same God as the United States. Our Bible has the same power in Spanish that, just like in English. The gospel has power in Spanish just like in English. God blesses sacrificial giving of Mexican pesos just like he does of American dollars. They said, we have the same God. We can do the same things. And it caught on. And now Mexican churches are sending Mexican national missionaries. It got, it caught on. You know what you do after that sometimes? Sometimes what's the best thing to do? Just leave them alone. Because they got on fire for God. Just leave them alone and they'll reach their country. They'll reach their neighboring cities. They'll reach other places. And, you, and, and, it's, and it's time for us to move on and go to Venezuela and say to the Venezuelan, uh, Venezuelan nationals and say to them and say, listen, you have to reach your country during this, this economic chaos. It's kind of like the Great Depression in the United States. It's a time of, of starvation and hunger, a time of no money, no cash, and, and just, just unrest, political unrest, military people everywhere, you know, just dictatorship everywhere, and just unrest and so forth and, 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 and so much insecurity and, and violence and all of this gasoline crisis, food crisis, shortages of water, all of these things. And in the midst of that, so my job is to go over there and partner with him and say, listen, pastors, you, you stay on the front line, you hold the line, you, you keep the faith and you keep reaching people. And Americans cannot come here right now. But I guarantee you they're rejoicing with you. I guarantee you they're praying for you. I guarantee you if they could, they'll give love offerings. And they'll help you in their, through our ministry. And we're one in spirit, one in mind, one in heart. And they feel it. They say, Brother Carlos, come and come and help us. And tell the American churches, thank you. Tell them thank you for us. So I went in December. And I went to the southern part of Venezuela, which is the Amazon region and the, these are tribal villages we have to use interpreters they speak their own dialect and so I go there and preach evangelistic meetings they said brother Carlos the American missionaries who were here in the Amazon have cleared out completely there are none anymore zero absolutely they're translating the Bible they have a Bible translation of their of their dialect and they said we're doing it kind of a kind of a modern way they said it's not by pen and paper. It's not by even, even a, printing, a printing press. They're, they go to what, is, what I would call the county seat, and that's where I was. I, that's where my meeting was, the county seat where they can at least get from the border of Columbia, at least get Internet signal. And through software, there's, they're translating the Bible, and they have a Bible in their native tongue. And through that, they bring their cell phones and they, they download this app, and they're, they're able to get everybody that, that Bible in their cell phone app. They don't have any money to print it. There's no way to print it or anything, but at least they can get it on their cell phone apps. And they have their unique Bible. But they said, Brother Carlos, we have a 
20 pastors, village tribal pastors came together and they made a written petition for me. And they signed it and they, they made their, their needs known to me. And they said, that they gave me a, a list of things that they need and so forth. They said, we need guitars for, for music. We need even things like PA systems that are helpful, electrical, you know, keyboard pianos that are helpful, things to, to help our church, to help our churches in the one man walked two days through the jungle to come to our meeting, to come to our big meeting. That, the meeting that you saw in the video had an attendance of 4,300 people. And they're coming from different places on motorcycles and cars and buses and, and through the jungle walking. And I said, if you come two days, where do you sleep if you came for two days in the jungle? And they said, well, he showed me a bag, and it's like a string bed, you know, the kind that you tie from one tree, then you tie it to the other tree, and it's like a, it looks like a net. Uh, and he said, you know, that, that's where they sleep. That's their bed. And, and, and he showed me some fruit that that was his food, you know. So these people are willing to, to go to great extremes. They're worthy. They are worthy for us to be able to help them and partner with them. So I say the least I can do at least, I'll bring you tracks. I'll bring you John and Roman's material. I'll bring you discipleship material. I'll bring you, I'll try to do some things to help your church, to encourage you. Let's, let's have revival meetings, like in early America, like, like in our heritage. Let's have a, a large-scale gospel crusades where we can preach the gospel and tell those churches to pray for revival. This is the work of God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not man's work. God opens doors when he wants to. He closes doors, but he still has a way. And as a Mexican citizen, I was in the comfort of my home in Mexico, in the comfort of my little circle of friends and, and my little preaching circuit that I had built and developed for years. And God said, get up, get out of there. Start moving, start going. And this, you can still be around here, but here, this is just... A springboard. It's a jumping springboard to move on, to go somewhere else, get into a farther place, get into a, a bigger place, get into a, a, another ministry, to reach other thousands of people in Venezuela. Never thought, never imagined it, never thought that, that I would start going to Venezuela. Why would I do that if I had already my mission field? If I had, see, God told Elijah, God told him when he said, get thee up to Zarephath. He said, now you... The Bible says he dwelt there. If you look at the, the words about Elijah, he dwelt there. He began, he, he lived there. He began to build his house there. He was planning on staying there. Then God said, okay, you're done with there. Go somewhere else. Now go to the widow woman and go here and go there. And God's moving him around. I say, God, why are you moving me around for? I already did my deputation. I already did a bunch of furloughs. I, I already got comfortable. I wanted to buy a house in Mexico and things. And God said, get, get up, get thee up to Venezuela. And go. And I, and I said, Lord, how am I going to go there? And, and uh, why should I go and so forth? And God showed me the closed door that Americans have. And God said, I'm giving you this unique identity. You're a Mexican. Use it for something good. Use it to go preach. Use it to get in there. And the light came on. It sunk in. And God's calling was revealed to me. And the Macedonian call of those Venezuelan pastors you know, you saw me wear a little hat. It's a cap, a little, a little hat in the video. It's a net, my little, my little net, net logo that I have. I have a theme, fisher of men, like a net. It's, the kingdom of God is like a net. Jesus said to be fishers of men. You know, that hat, the Venezuela pastors gave that to me. 
And they gave that to me. They said, we have a gift for you in the pastor's conference. And they said, we're going to give you this hat. It's the country. It's the country shape, the country logo shape, and the net over the country. You know what that tells me? They got the message. They got the message about what we're trying to do. We're trying to cast a big net over the country. It's a gospel net to preach the gospel, to see multitudes and thousands of people saved. Why can we not dream big and think big and say, God, shake this city with the gospel? Are liberal churches the only ones that have power to shake cities? Is it only going to be promise keepers and all this stuff and Joel Osteen and all these, all these liberal crowd that's going to have influence to preach the gospel? I want to go to those independent Baptist churches and say, we are churches of sound doctrine, churches of like faith. And you have been taught and reached by American missionaries who were solid. And let me tell you, we owe it to them to finish the job. We owe it to them. Listen, if we do not reap the harvest, the sowing, the planting, and the watering is meaningless. If we do not reap the harvest. You know, in Mexico, they build houses. One man, one or two men can build a house. It's block and bricks and stuff, masonry work, cement. It'll take them long, but one or two men can build a house, a little house. But, you know, when they put the roof on it, it's cement. They pour the cement. They need every man they can get. They need all the neighbors. They call the neighbors because they take turns. So when it's their turn, they get everybody to help them. So, but you see, you can't say, oh, the house is finished. It just needs a roof. It's 90% finished, and it just needs a roof. So you can live in it 90%. No, you can't. It's got to be finished. It's got to be 100% finished for, for it to be livable. So they finish by pouring that roof and they call every man. Maybe those men who poured the cement on the roof, maybe they didn't put the, the foundation stones. Maybe they didn't put the, the blocks, the first blocks and stuff. But they came to help finish the job. I want you to notice the scripture. Notice, please. I want you to see Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. I want you to see in the Word of God, Matthew chapter 20, and notice this, this Bible principle as I, as I share this with you and, and explain our approach to do this. Matthew chapter 20, I want you to see in verse 6, the parable of the vineyard. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 6, And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle, and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? Now I want you to notice this question. In the previous verses, he finds men standing idle, and he just says, Come with me. I'll give you whatsoever is right. But he doesn't ask them, Why stand ye idle? He just says, just come with me now. No man hath hired you. No man hath hired us. I'll give you whatsoever is right. Go to work. Come with me. I'll give you work. But here he says at the last hour, why stand ye idle? Why are you not doing anything? Why are you not involved with what we're doing? It's the last hour. This is the time where we need everybody involved. This is the time we're pouring the roof. This is the time we're reaping the harvest. We need everybody involved. The Bible says, verse 7, they say unto him, because no man hath hired us, he saith unto them, Go ye also into the, into the vineyard, whatsoever is right, that shall you receive. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, 
They received every man a penny, but when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne uh, the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. It's not, not thou agree for, with me for a penny. Take that thine is and go thy way. I will give unto this last even as unto thee. Do you see how the Lord is placing the value, not necessarily in some hourly wage, but rather he is placing the value in that the job is, is finished. He's placing the value in the all-encompassing work that the job gets done. He's saying, listen, these guys come complaining. Lord, we've been working all day in the hot sun. You're paying them. These guys who came at the last hour, you're paying them the same as us, making them equal unto us. You know, I think the Lord could, could say, if it hadn't been for them, if they didn't come, you, wouldn't, you would not have been able to finish your job. They made your job meaningful. In other words, they allowed you to complete, complete that. It's like the roof on the house. Then you can say the house is finished. You can live in it now. You see, we have to finish the job. So we cannot just be sowing and just planting and watering and, and repeating this and thinking that we're okay. We've got to reap the harvest. And there are some places where it's ripe. I understand not every place is ripe. Not every mission field is ripe for a harvest. Some places you got to break the ground. Somebody's got to go and break the ground, carve it out. Some places won't see fruit maybe in their lifetime. That's why the Lord said, one soweth and another reapeth. That's why the Lord said it might, might be the next generation. So you see how I, I have to come around and say, Lord, you know, I never started a church in Venezuela. I started two village churches in Mexico. So I'm familiar with church planning. I started a church in Illinois, a Spanish independent Baptist church, in, in, individual independent Baptist church. The church is still there many years ago. The church is still there, so I'm familiar with, the, with, with starting from scratch, starting from zero, starting a church, and doing village work in, in, in remote villages in the mountains of San Luis Potosí, Mexico. I'm familiar. You can't go in there and bring, bring a big crusade. They're not going to come and listen to you if you go there because... They don't listen to outsiders. You have to gain their trust. You see, there's some cultures are different. Some cultures are slower and some places are unique. But Venezuela is not like that. Venezuela is ripe. It's ripe for the harvest. The pastors are ready. The churches are ready. They're praying and they're saying, you know, they got buildings. They got everything. They just don't have the financial means. So I raise a little money and say, Lord, if you help me raise the money, I will go over there and spend the money preaching the gospel. I'm not buying buildings. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not buying property. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just going over there to preach the gospel only. And that's what the Great Commission is. And they have to take it from there. Now, since we're working with thousands of people now in our, in our meetings and, and having big crowds, sometimes we have the question, what about getting them in church? What about discipleship and follow-up? And are they really converts that stick and so forth? I have developed a digital system through software. If the, if the village tribal people can do it, I can, I can do that too and learn that and say, Lord, give me a system that is diligent. So I, I invite the people to my meetings and they, they sign up. They register 
online with their cell phones by scanning a QR scan code, just like you would go in a restaurant and see the menu. And they scan, and when they do that, their information, their name, address, phone number, email, and everything, their, their age, their church background, goes right into my spreadsheet software in my home office. In other words, I already know how many people are going to show up to the meeting before we ever have the meeting because of a sign-up, a pre-registration digital sign-up so that when we have the meeting and then we, we preach the gospel to these people, then I can print that or send that and share that to the pastors and say, pastors, listen, I was only here for a couple, two or three weeks, but you know what? Here's your work. Here's your follow-up work. And if you got to follow these people up. you gotta, you got to go, go after them. They came to the meeting. They heard the gospel. Many of them were saved. And you could even email them. Email, send them an email about a video about baptism. You see, digital means and so forth. That's what they're doing. They're sitting at home looking at their cell phones all day. That's where we've got to put our hooks and, and, and catch the fish. You see? So this is what we're trying to do. And God is blessing and God is doing this. I'm going, my next trip to Venezuela is scheduled the first week of April. I happen to be going with a Mexican missionary. He is a Mexican national friend of mine. He's from San Luis Potosí, Mexico, where I, I knew him from before. Now he's there. He's got a great church. But it's just like everything else, under-supported, under-resourced. A, 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 a thriving church that has been halted with all this COVID pandemic and so forth. You know, in Mexico, we had pandemic. Uh, we had quarantine day and night so in the daytime you can go outside do whatever you want but at night it was curfew so then you, you got to stay inside and lockdown Mexico we had it day and night in Venezuela they have it every other week so one week you can go outside and do whatever you want and then you, the next week you got to stay in lockdown <laughs> stay inside and so I have to come on those weeks you know when when they open up and we can have these big evangelistic meetings preach to thousands of people and they're all done with that we everybody can go outside now and, and all of this and so we've got to reap the harvest. That's what Jesus said. Pray for the laborers to go to the harvest. When I was in those villages in, in, in the Amazon, I picked, up a, I picked up a bunch of leaves. And I said, I'm going to take this back to the churches. I was giving the children some leaves. If any child wants a leaf, come see me. I'll give you a, a leaf from the Amazon jungle as a, as a souvenir gift. And the airport said, hey, stop a minute. Come here. You're not allowed to take plants. What is that? I said, they're not plants. They're leaves. You know, and he said, you're not allowed. It's, it's not allowed in customs. What are the, the leaves for? Are you going to make a tea or something like that? And I said, no, they're just gifts for the children. I want them to have a leaf. And they said, okay, we're going to let you this time. Because they saw my Bibles. They saw stuff, you know. And they said, we're going to let you. But he said, you got to make sure you disinfect it and do this and freeze them and boil them and clean them and everything. I did all of that. And I said, it's a gift for the kids in the church, in the churches. So if you want to leave, come see me. Amen. But I'll tell you what, we need to reap the harvest. Church, why stand ye idle? You know, I come from, a, my church is wealthy. I come from a wealthy church. My church can sponsor my ministry. But my pastor tells me, he said, they only help me just enough to get me started. They say, we, we're going to help you just enough to get you started. But you know what? you got to go to the churches because God's in, God's in this. You need to see God working in this. And he's, my pastor said, he said, you need to bring awareness to the churches. Let them know what's going on because they also, you also need prayer. Uh, prayer from them. You also need prayer partnership from them. So I'm here to help your church reach Venezuela for Christ. Can we go there?
and tell the pastor in Caracas and say, Pastor, get the stadium. Let's pack this stadium out. Let's get ready for it. Let's preach the gospel. Let's reap the harvest. Can we go to the other cities and say, you know, they're going to say, they say, Brother Carlos, it costs $2,000. It costs $3,000 to rent all these chairs, to rent the stadium and get this and do that. I don't have the money. Other people don't have the money. They don't have the money. But God has the money. God has it. And God will provide for it. It cost me about $10,000 each time I go. So far, I have raised $5,000 already. One church said, we'll give just our church alone. We'll give you $5,000 for that, for that next trip. Another church in Venezuela called me and said, Brother Carlos, they stole our, our PA system. And they showed me a picture of a hole in the roof. They have, they have security guards on site that live in the church to avoid theft. But he said, when these men show up with guns, he has to flee. And they showed me, they steal the PA system, they steal things, the projector for their hymns. And the pastor said, is there any way that you, is there any way that you can help us? And I just tell him, just pray. Just pray. And I'll pray too. Another, these missionary, these jungle missionaries that are translating the Bible say, we need a motorcycle. It costs about $600. That's how they travel. They're walking. They're doing things with great sacrifice to spread the word. See, over there, they don't have internet signal. So they have to go download that Bible and then bring it back. They don't have, so they don't, the communication has to be done on foot. Or, or by motorcycle or something like that. Different needs, different things. But listen, the gospel is advancing in those places. And in a time when Americans, for the most part, are locked out, I have an open door. So I say, church, churches, I'll go. Here I am, send me. I'll go preach in Venezuela. I can put on a soccer, a soccer game and get a, a couple kids who will spread the word. And pretty, pretty soon we'll have 2,000 people. We'll sign them up and give it to the pastors and tell them to come to the church on Sunday. I can do that. I'll go. Here I am, Lord. Send me. We've got to reap the harvest. We've got to finish the job. We have to. And the Bible says if we do so, we may rejoice together. You know what, church? Those that send and those that go, we rejoice together. Because it's fruit to your account. Let's bow our heads for prayer with heads bowed and with our eyes closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed.